We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Roadwire NBA podcast, presented as always by WinBets, the presenting sponsor of all Roadwire fantasy podcasts in the year of our Lord 2022. Check out winbet.com for all your sports wagering needs. Alex, the NBA is finally back tonight. Our long national nightmare of having no like extremely low stakes regular season NBA games is over. We went six days with no real games. Of course, didn't have the All Star break, uh, but felt like kind of a uh, you know, relatively uh, down all-star weekend compared to some that we've had in years past. And we covered all that uh, on our, our Tuesday pod. So I want to look ahead a little bit. We'll hit a few news items and then we'll discuss some of the storylines that we're keeping an eye on uh, over the stretch run here. And, you know, we, we've said this kind of all year that the all-star break is not the halfway point. Some teams have played over 70% of their games. So I, I'm trying to start referring to it as like the stretch run instead of the second half because it's nowhere near uh, the second half of the season. Um, but but let's let's back up a little bit and talk about some of the storylines from the last couple of days. Uh, Zion Williamson, good teammate all of a sudden. He's now posted two things on his Instagram story uh, interacting with teammates. He, he kind of like did the equivalent of a quote tweet on his Instagram story today of a Willie Hernan Gomez post. Uh, <laughs> was JJ Redick to you out of bounds at all with anything that he said earlier this week, essentially going in on Zion saying that, you know, he was a little bit detached when he was there. Um, and, and, you know, whether he was out of bounds or not, it's clear that Zion heard that criticism. And I mean, it, it's like kind of blatantly obvious now, uh, it, it, you know, he's in a tough spot where, you know, no matter what he does, it's going to be criticized because of what Reddick said. Uh, but you know, every time he posts anything now with, with regard to the Pelicans, the instant reaction is, oh, well, he's, he's only doing this now to make himself look good. Well, I do think that is true. Um, Reddick was maybe a little out of bounds, but he also seemed pretty like genuinely offended at how bad Zion was a teammate at the time. Um, so that was like bizarre. And also, you know, like we've gotten so little information on Zion in general that I feel like guys like Reddick probably, he probably felt an obligation to just like tell people something like tell NBA fans, something uh, tell Pelicans fans, something who deserve to know, like kind of what's going on with Zion and how he is as a teammate. Um, you know, like, it's just, uh, sure, it was, I mean, it was, it was, he, he, you know, gave Zion, like, he pretty much dragged him in public. It was pretty bad. But I don't know, man. Like, Reddick, for all intents and purposes, seems like a very, like, uh, level-headed guy. I've listened to some of his podcasts. He's not, like, a hot take artist or anything. Um, so, to, like, piss off J.J. Reddick that much, seems like you have to actually be just so disengaged that it's worth bringing up on national television. Yeah. And that, and that's, I think what makes this so 
stinging is, you know, one, JJ Redick was in some ways around Zion Williamson last year. And, and obviously that whole situation with Redick uh, kind of went sour by the end, but he was on the team last year. So he has firsthand experience. And I think if anything, he's positioned himself as the anti hot take artist, right? I mean, since, since he started doing these appearances over the last few months, you know, he's really making an effort to not be Stephen A, Skip Bayless, you know, even like Kendrick Perkins type, you know, he's kind of the, I do my homework type of analyst and, and not someone who's just going to say something just to say something or, or say something just to get the breakout quote on Twitter. And he's very, very deliberate about this. And, and like you said, he has his own podcast. He knows what's going to be newsworthy and what's not. I don't think JJ Reddick, you know, just decided that morning to you know go off the cuff and say this. I, I think this was a deliberate, um, you know, a deliberate statement by him based on his experience. So it means more coming from JJ Reddick than it would coming from Charles Barkley or Kendrick Perkins, guys who are not on the scene. Uh, in New Orleans last year. So, I, I mean, that, I, I think that really sounded some alarm bells. And and one of the interesting takes that I've heard from a couple people is that like Zion's kind of gotten off easy in some ways. I think maybe not in the fantasy world because so many people are frustrated by, you know, taking him in the third round and him potentially going all year without playing a game. But there've been so many other storylines, you know, Kyrie, Harden, Westbrook, LeBron, that, you know, Zion's absence has kind of flown under the radar. Whereas in a lot of seasons, this would be a massive story, you know, like a, a guy who's on track to be the face of the league this time last year has not played in a game is away from the team is, you know, kind of behind the scenes indicating that he might not want to be there. And and now it feels like, you know, maybe it's because we were on the all-star break and there wasn't a whole lot else going on, but now it feels like this has all been pushed to the forefront. Yeah. I mean, yeah, with, with the, the COVID stuff kind of dying down and, um, I think things will sort of cool off for the most part after the trade deadline, the all-star break, like a lot of teams only have 25 games left. Um, you know, I, I, I agree. I think it will become more of a storyline, especially because they haven't officially ruled him out for the year. And so like, in theory, you have to kind of keep asking him, like, what are you feeling better? Like, how's the rehab going? Um, so I think it will be it will become a better story to some extent. I think there's only so big it can get because, you know, uh, people don't care about New Orleans. Like it's not that big of a market. He's played 85 NBA games, so he's like sort of he's been this weird fringe thing that I, I don't think is on the forefront of a lot of people's minds. I guess because he hasn't he like half established himself last year, um, and and I'm not sure because. It's not like he's in a contract here, right? I don't think there's, I, I don't think people feel this like insane sense of urgency, even though there are signals coming from him that he wants to move on. Well, I think early on, the sentiment was more sympathy towards Zion. It was like, oh no, we don't want this to become another Greg Oden situation. And, you know, over the last few weeks and months, I, I think it shifted now toward blaming Zion, not necessarily for the injury but how he's handled all of this. And, you know, I think it's, it's become fair to question how hard is he pushing in rehab? How hard was he pushing even before this latest uh, injury, which I, I guess if we're, if we're being fair occurred, what, all the way back in August or September, you know, did he do everything he could before that to, to keep weight off and, and prevent pressure on the foot? Like, you know, it, it's a lot of competing arguments that we're never going to get a great answer to, but it, it really does feel like, you know, regardless of whether he's playing for the Lakers or the Pelicans, that, things have shifted from, oh man, I hope Zion is back on the court this year to why is Zion keeping himself off the court? Yeah. And it, it kind of, I mean, whether or not that's true, the thing is we, we don't know because we, uh, we can't get any quotes from him uh, or anything like that. And, you know, by all accounts, it seems like he just ran away to Portland to avoid the three members of the New Orleans media that exist. And, um, you know, like we've said before, every news update that comes out about him is bad. Uh, like I, it's, it's just crazy. Like, again, there's only so much you can control in regards to how well you heal from an injury, but it, it to, it's just insane for me to think that at the start of the season, we were saying, uh, like, it seems like he'd be ready for the start of the year, you know? Um, that's, that's crazy to me that that initially came out, that they'd be like, yeah, he'll be ready. And it's just every news update since then is just bad. I don't know why that even came out in the first place. It's, it makes no sense. 
Well, the Pelicans were put in a really tough spot where they they have to defend him. You know, he is their player, and it, it, it's kind of become clear that they were like intentionally distributing misinformation. You know, I don't, I don't, I I don't think there was ever really a chance that Zion was going to play. You know, on opening night, like they they had initially said, and you know, I, I think they've they've kind of lost trust. Um, you know, anytime any news comes out about Zion, we kind of have to take it really lightly, and I think a lot of people have kind of stopped trusting the Pelicans, but. It's it, this is just developing into a really ugly situation that certainly is not good for New Orleans. I, I don't think it's good for the league. And I, I think finally it's starting to look bad for Zion, where you know a lot of the blame initially, I, I think, was chalked up to the injury, chalked up to the Pelicans making these weird moves. And like I said, it, it does feel like the sentiment has shifted toward an, an anti Zion um, type of belief. And, and I don't know, may, I mean, maybe that provides some sort of motivation in a weird way for him to finally take this more seriously. But at the same time, even as I'm saying that, we don't even know for sure if he's not taking it seriously. You know, like other than the JJ Reddit comments, he's been so he's been so out of the public eye and so quiet. Like it'd, it'd be nice if there was some sort of update, even if it was an Instagram post of Zion running on a treadmill. Like there's just been there's been nothing, and it's it's really frustrating if you're the Pelicans. It's frustrating if you're playing fantasy. It's frustrating if you're an NBA fan. We have no idea where this guy stands, and and really haven't had any idea all season. Yeah, I'm curious. Obviously, I mean, <laughs> I do not expect him to play the rest of the year. So I think a lot of this will end up playing out in the offseason. Um, and like our last update on him, which was from mid-February, was he that he could need a second surgery, which like his first surgery <laughs> went so badly that he did, is going to miss the entire season. So like a second surgery at that point is who even knows like what – you know, like the Pelicans could just panic and be like, we don't want to deal with this anymore, mm-hmm. you know? And they, they trade for CJ McCollum. Like they, they have some like pieces around, you know, they have McCollum and they have Ingram and they have Alan Shunis and they, you know, I don't know what you could even theory get if you were thinking about trading Zion, but um, <laughs> at the, at this point, it'd be understandable. Honestly, we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. 
Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Was he like the most prized asset in the league when you take into account contract situation, age, potential? Um, like, I, I do wonder what that price is now relative to what it would have been when he was at least somewhat healthier. I have, I have no idea. I've, I've thought about this a little bit. Like, I've gone through, like, who are the teams that would, in theory, like, be interested in Zion? And I'm sure the Knicks would be. But other than that, I mean, it's hard to imagine a team that's in a good position wanting to take on the risk of Zion and all that potential salary if you're going to extend him and and all that stuff I just there are so few teams that I think are interested in that sort of thing I mean you know like Sacramento I feel like could be in a position where they're uh unhinged enough as a franchise you know they trade Tyrese Halberton for DeMontis Sabonis but again like what do they even have like they're not gonna trade Darren Fox for Zion so um it's like tough to find a team that that makes sense. Like Washington could also be in that scenario. They're like, but we just get Porzingis and Zion. Um, yeah. I, I still think he commands a massive return in a trade and you know, the contract situation, you know, as of now he's on a rookie deal. Um, you know, it would, it would kind of depend on when such a trade would go down as far as like what kind of salary you might have to send back if it's a sign and trade. Um, but I, I mean, in terms of picks, I think we're still talking, several firsts, you know, it would be an upper echelon type of package. I don't know if it would be like, you know, a James Harden, Anthony Davis situation, but I think it would still be pretty close because even if he goes this full year without playing, even if he has another foot surgery, yes, that's very concerning, but I still think at least half of the league, it would be willing to mortgage a large piece of its future in order to have this guy on the roster, assuming that he's willing to be there. Yeah. I mean, it does help as well that he's not like on his, uh, like rookie extension deal. Like he's still on his rookie contract. So if you give up some stuff uh, and it just doesn't work out, it's not like you traded for Michael Porter Jr. on like a $120 million contract. It's it's very different than that. All right, let's touch on De'Aaron Fox. You sent me a, uh, a headline news story earlier today uh, involving De'Aaron Fox. And I, I'd seen some rumblings on NBA Twitter this morning, uh, I couldn't really get to the bottom of why people were tweeting about De'Aaron Fox. And, and luckily, you swooped in with a lot of information. So I'll defer to you on this one. Yeah, this is from a uh, 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 account on Twitter called Web3 is Great, if you want to read the kind of full post. Uh, but De'Aaron Fox ditched his NFT project after getting $1.5 million out of it. Um, he promised that it would be a high utility NFT collection. So you'd get a metaverse basketball court. There was a scholarship to the university of Kentucky for a student chances to win all-star tickets or something like that. Um, Project had like a hundred thousand people in the discord raised 1.5 million. And then yesterday, um, <laughs> yesterday, uh, while other things were going on, the project quietly deleted its social media accounts and pretty much all of its Discord uh, channel. And uh, Fox said that basically he didn't have enough time or attention to put into the project and he stretched himself too thin and he promised everyone that bought at least five NFTs um a uh, which would be like thirteen hundred dollars. Uh, it promised them a signed jersey, and uh, that's that. Just shut it down. Yeah, fair is fair. You know, thirteen hundred <laughs> bucks signed here in Fox jersey. I, I think that's a wash. And uh, not surprising at all. I don't, you know, I don't know a ton about NFTs. I, I know way more now than I did like two months ago, just because so, so many NBA players have been involved in this that I, I felt like I kind of had to give myself a crash course. But yeah, I, I, I can imagine that we're going to see more of this. Uh, 
I, I think good on Darren Fox for, I guess, trying to give something back. It, it sounds like there was going to be some sort of compensation for people who spent X amount of money, you know, beyond the signed Jersey. Um, I, I don't think this is the end of the situation, but um, yeah, I don't, I mean, it, it was a little strange around like December, January, when it felt like half of the league was either, you know, by way of their own Twitter accounts or like very clear, uh, you know, pay for tweets type of situations from other NFT projects. Uh, shocking to me that, that an NBA player who is playing games like every other night for seven months a year doesn't have time to devote to a full-time NFT project. Uh, yeah. I, and it's funny because I've also seen like other stories about, you know, people making NFTs and then just basically taking the money and running, which is easier to do because it's all crypto and it's anonymous. And then you just kind of shut down the website and you leave and no one can trace where it went, uh, which... You know, I feel bad for the people getting scammed, uh, who I guess yeah. you could technically call investors. Uh, but on the other hand, if people are literally just going to hand you like a hundred million dollars for some JPEGs, just take the money and uh, run. I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, they got they got the product right. They have the they have the file. I mean, I guess they don't they don't get the fully immersive world uh, that was promised. Which, again, I don't I don't know how you go in saying like yes. This is going to be worth so much when I am, you know, using my NFT in the virtual world of uh, mediocre NBA point guard De'Aaron Fox. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Um, man, I, that's I all. That's all I have on on yeah, NBA I mean, NFTs. This is, this is, do you think this is worse? It, well, it probably is worse because it was it was one point five million dollars. But remember when De'Aaron Fox or not De'Aaron Fox, Spencer Dinwiddie started a GoFundMe to try to get fans to pay for him to come to their team um that was that was crazy i think that uh that to me is almost more crazy than this but it had almost no effect since i think it raised like a thousand dollars and the people probably got their money back i think the Mavs should just try to raise money to buy him out (laughs) yeah help us buy out deer and bob or uh, spencer denwiggy i can't i can't even separate these two anymore in my head they're just the same person now oh man um all right let's let's talk a couple more news items then we'll get into some storylines to watch over the second half uh no excuse me i'm already going against my own rules over the stretch run uh, of the nba season new york city vacky mandates likely to be lifted in the next few weeks uh we don't have a firm timetable on this at all uh new york city mayor uh, what was addressing it, I think yesterday or at some point earlier this week. And in, in the way that politicians do kind of dance around the issue, but, but kind of quietly implied uh, that the mandates are likely going to be lifted. I, we've talked about this on the pod. I, I feel like this was, this was implied when you look at the title odds. I think it was a big reason that despite the Nets struggling and kind of blowing up their big three midseason, they never really, they never really dropped all that much in terms of title odds. I, I think there was always this belief that, by the time May and June roll around, Kyrie Irving was going to be a full-time player. And, and it looks like we're, we're heading that way. Uh, Nets Daily, the SB Nation site, reported that uh, there's a good chance that the mandates are dropped by mid-March. So that could mean that you know Kyrie would be eligible for, what would that be, roughly like the last 10 or 15 games of the regular season. And you know for fantasy purposes, not that big of a deal at that point. Um, you kind of got burned already if you, if you drafted Kyrie early enough and, and either – cut bait with him or held him in an IR spot all this time. Um, you know, maybe you're, I, I guess, depending on the timing of your fantasy playoffs, that could be huge. But uh, the, the far bigger situation here, of course, is that it's looking like there's a pretty good chance that the Nets are going to have full-time Kyrie Irving, hopefully healthy Kevin Durant, uh, hopefully up to speed Ben Simmons heading into the postseason. which not great news if you're the Sixers or the Bucks or the Heat or, or a couple other teams that we're going to talk about later. But I think good for the league overall, because this would have been, I mean, it would have been interesting from like a storyline standpoint to have Kyrie only eligible for road games in a playoff series. But I feel like it would have been a, by the time we got to, you know, two, three weeks into the playoffs, it just would have been a really annoying storyline to have to keep going back to. Yeah. I feel like um, you're right because it just would have been, it would have felt very inconsistent with how the league has handled it in general and how other cities have handled it. I mean, they just basically, even though they, did a press release on like a Friday at like 10 PM that they're like, we're not testing for COVID anymore. Basically like there are no COVID protocols anymore. Um, They just, 
they've kind of moved on from it. And it would seem weird that, like, I know it's New York City's issue, but uh, also kind of bizarre that, like, a way, you know, players from other cities could come in and play if they weren't vaccinated and Kyrie couldn't. It's just very inconsistent. And I didn't, you know, <laughs> I don't think like Adam Silver went to Eric Adams and was like, do this. But I also don't think Adam Silver wanted to have to be asked questions about that. Um, because that would have, I think, made things <laughs> very awkward. Uh yeah, New York City's doing Adam Silver a pretty big solid here and just kind of keeping this out of his hands. Um, you know, I, I think this issue, obviously, was a really big deal at the beginning of the season. And then we kind of stopped talking about it while Kyrie Irving sat for, for essentially the whole first half. And then it went back into the public eye when Kyrie Irving came back and was in and out of the lineup. Um, and, and then it had started to fade again, but it was going to pick up come playoff time. You know, I think the, the pressure on the league to either do something or at least address it was going to be there. And, and it sounds like, you know, it's just going to be a, a PR bullet dodged by the NBA. So I guess in some ways, good news on that front uh, props to Kyrie Irving for just waiting this out. Uh, I guess, did, did he, did he win the battle? Did he really prove anything at the end of this? <laughs> to me, it doesn't really feel like it. Um, no, I, I honestly, I don't, I don't think people will be like, praising Ky- like i don't think people are like wow Kyrie, like you changed the world uh you really yeah. stood up and i i don't know man I, I i think it's just something that will like it'll get mentioned this year because it's a big factor like in the playoffs be like well Kyrie only playing this many games but two three years from now will anybody care i don't know i guess uh, Kyrie maybe <laughs> Kyrie could be doing something else back that uh in three years and then we'll be like remember that time he also um, who even knows at this point? He's also is he a free agent? Can he be a free agent next year? Like there are just tons of other like more intriguing storylines at this yeah. point about Kyrie's future yeah. than than the stuff's already happened. I think the only way he comes out of this looking like the hero that he believes he is, you know, kind of a Muhammad Ali type of figure, is if it turns out that the vaccine actually is perpetrated by like the <laughs> Illuminati and everybody drops dead and he's the only one surviving like that then he's going to come out looking pretty good unless that if that doesn't happen i I think this is going to go down as kind of a yeah that was really weird remember when Kyrie did that type of situation uh when we when we look back uh one final news item victor oladipo traveling with the miami heat tomorrow they play at new york uh i think they're back home on saturday for a back-to-back against san antonio doesn't sound like oladipo is going to play uh but nonetheless um he has not really been traveling with the team he's been back in miami rehabbing vigorously for the last several months um sounds like he's going to practice in the g league i I think he actually already did uh report to the sioux falls sky force so they shipped him to what south dakota earlier this week um to take part in some five on five my guess is at some point he'll probably play in a few g league games over the next couple weeks and i i kind of completely forgot about oladipo I, i think you did as well um I'm keeping my expectations super, super low. You know, I mean, it's been, it's been like four years since he's been a legitimate impact player. And, you know, he came back for that half season in 2018-19 and looked okay. You know, the, the counting stats were good. The efficiency was way down relative to where he was, um, you know, before the quad tendon injury. Uh, kind of the same thing in 2019-20 where he only played in 19 games. Um, and, you know, since then, it's, it's really been a, a big-time uphill battle uh, for him to even get on a, an NBA court, let alone look like the player that he was uh, at his peak. So again, I'm, I'm not expecting a whole lot, but this is not a Heat team that needs anything from Victor Oladipo. Like they're they're in title contention without him. So you know if he's if he's able to look somewhat like his old self and give you 18 good minutes off the bench in the playoffs, like that is a massive massive bonus for a Heat team that that again doesn't even need a bonus. Right. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he hasn't been like awful when he's played over the past few seasons past 88 games 18 points a game on 16 shots not great but not terrible you know five rebounds four and a half assists a steal and a half um and i think i think at this point like you mentioned that he don't need him so they're just being as cautious as possible with him and i'm sure he also uh you know doesn't want to rush anything at this point because he's probably got the rest of his career in mind so yeah i mean i do think it's something it's something that I think a lot of NBA fans have basically completely forgotten about. And you're right. How much of a factor will he really be? 
But if you can, even if you can get 15 solid minutes out of Oladipo in the playoffs, like not amazing minutes, just solid because their bench is pretty bad. That would be, you know, they're already a, 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 I think a legitimate finals contender. That would help a lot. You're basically just adding someone, uh, adding like a nice rotation player for the playoffs. All right, let's talk some monkey knife fight before we get into the storylines we'll be monitoring most closely over these next seven weeks. Uh, as always, monkey knife fight is the go-to destination for easy DFS money. You can win 20x, 100x, 500x your buy-in amount, depending on the contest you're playing on any given night. If you go to monkeyknifefight.com to sign up, you can get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. And if you use our promo code, RWNBA, that's RWNBA, you'll get a free $10 NBA ticket. You can use that to win cash tonight. Uh, we got the slate back, of course, um, after taking that week off. So we're going to go back to a trusty three-by-three contest, Alex. This is 5X your money if you hit all three. If you use our code, you can buy in. Uh, you can make 50 bucks. I think I'm doing the math right on that, right? If you go three for three here. And I picked this one because we have a unique name, someone who I cannot imagine has been featured in too many MKF contests this season. Rajon Rondo, more or less seven and a half assists tonight at Detroit. No Karis LeVert, no Darius Garland for the Cavaliers. Um, wow. I'm going to go under. Um, he's only gone over seven assists once since January 24th and uh, once since December 19th. And it seems like the um, the Cavs actually kind of like Brandon Goodwin, I think is who they – is that who they're – they have yeah. another backup point guard that they like. Yeah, Brandon Goodwin. So um, he started – like he started three games earlier in February. So I'm going to go under. Okay. All right, I'm, I'm going more. I, I put this in here for a reason. He had 12 assists uh, like a week before the All-Star break when he played 32 minutes against Indiana. Uh, the Goodwin point stands, uh, but I, I think this is a night where Rondo plays like 25 to 30 minutes and going up against a Detroit Pistons team that provides very little resistance. Uh, I, I think if the minutes are there, this is a pretty easy more for me. Nikola Vucevic, more or less 12 and a half rebounds against the Atlanta Hawks tonight. What's your what's your gut instinct here? I mean, my gut instinct is over uh, because he's been like a rebounding monster lately. Um, you know, kind of since the Bulls have been dealing with more injuries, he's turned his game up. This month in February, 13 rebounds a game. So my gut feeling is over, but at the same time, I can understand it under because Capella and Okongwu, that is a pretty solid front line, and those guys are good rebounders. So uh seems possible that, that he could go under. Last 20 games, he's had exactly 12 and a half rebounds. I, I'm going to go under, I, just under. I, I think, like you said, I mean, in the last, what, six games before the break, he was over 12 and a half on average. He's had some huge rebounding games early in February, but, you know, 18 rebounds against Toronto. That's not a great front court. There's a lot of bodies there, but we don't really love any of the options. He had 17 rebounds against Indiana. Uh, that was when that team was extremely depleted. You know, they were throwing out Terry Taylor for big time minutes. Um, like you said, good rebounders on the other end in Atlanta. I'm going to go less on 12 and a half. We finish out with another pretty high number here, but we're dealing with a, a fringe MVP candidate, John Morant, more or less 29 and a half points in what should be a high scoring game at Minnesota tonight. Yeah, I'm going over because of the high pace, uh, 239 and a half is the over under here. I don't think pa Patrick Beverly cannot guard John Morant. And uh, Minnesota's defense hasn't been that good lately. Um, their offense has been good. So I think there's going to be a lot of scoring. I think it's going to be very up and down. Obviously, Morant scoring 30 points is something he does very regularly. This number is too high for me. I know he's coming off of a 44-point game in the final game before the break, but that was against Portland. Um, you know, He's had, obviously, several 30, 35-plus games uh, just in the last month. But two previous matchups against Minnesota. Mid-January, 16 points in 32 minutes. Uh, that was an eight-point win for Memphis. And then in a 43-point loss back in November, <laughs> 11 points in 27 minutes. So, you know, maybe he breaks out of that, but he hasn't been great against that Timberwolves defense this year. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of follow the trend here and go less. But good to be split on, on two of these three, and we'll see how they play out. Again, make sure to 
If you use that code RWNBA, you can get that free $10 credit. You can play this contest. I would recommend probably fading our picks, you know, based on history. But uh, <laughs> either way, make sure you're checking out Monkey Knife Fight. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more. All that is at your fingertips with the WinBet app. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or even try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in nine states. Those nine states are Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia, and it's rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. Register for WinBet today, make a qualifying deposit, and wager to receive $200 in free bets. Promotion may vary by state. Download WinBet now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. Thrive Fantasy is back for another season of fantasy basketball, and they're running guaranteed contests every single day this NBA season. With Thrive Fantasy, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus only on the top tier players who have the biggest impact on the game. Sign up today and you'll get a free six-month Rotowire subscription. Here's how you claim that free Rotowire subscription. Step one, visit rotowire.com slash thrive. That's T-H-R-I-V-E, thrive. Step two, deposit a minimum of $10 and you'll receive a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. Step three, play in your first paid contest and you will then receive that free six-month Rotowire subscription. Infinite value with that subscription. You'll get full access to everything on rotowire.com, all sports, all of our optimizers, everything you need to become the best fantasy player and sports better that you can be. Check out thrivefantasy.com to learn more. Thrive Fantasy, an official partner of Rotowire. All right, I asked you, Alex, to jot down two to three storylines that you'll be keeping an eye on the rest of the way. Um, you know, it, there's some really obvious ones. You know, Chris Paul being out, how do the Suns respond, things like that. Uh, a few of those have, have kind of already been beaten to death. Like it feels either by us on this podcast or by, by NBA media at large, but I'm interested to see what you came up with. So I'll let you lead this off. Uh, what is your first storyline that you really want to keep an eye on? Uh, I'm intrigued by Dallas and what they're able to do after not, I mean, they traded away Porzingis, but even before that, since January, so since the new year, Dallas is the second best defense in the NBA. Uh, is Jason Kidd a good coach actually now? Uh, unfortunately, is a question that we're going to have to ask ourselves. Um, I I think it's interesting that they so they have the third best uh, net rating as well uh, since the new year. And I to me, it's crazy that they've been able to do this, getting limited stuff out of Porzingis and then trading him recently. Tim Hardaway Jr. is out for the year, I think with a broken foot. And so they're, they're basically just running out a ton of like, I mean, some of these guys to be like fringe players on the title teams. Um, and they were just surrounding Doncic. who's one of the best offensive players in the world with just a ton of defense. And I think it's kind of an, it's interesting to see how that plays out. Like, is that a strategy that will work? Is that something that can get them anywhere in the playoffs? It's like, Hey, we have, you know, we have a top five offensive player. Uh, let's just put tons of defense around him and see where he can take us. Um, I'm just intrigued by that. Yeah, I like that one a lot. I mean, I it, it felt like Dallas was almost in sell mode at the deadline, which is when they right. were playing their absolute best. And, you know, as we've seen the last couple of years, you know, halfway through the year, it feels like Luca's kind of having a disappointing season. And then he flips that switch and is suddenly the most dangerous offensive player in the league. And he's a threat to score 50 on any given night. So I actually, I, I had Luca on my list as well, but I, I just put like, what are Luca's numbers going to be the rest of the way? Like, is he going to average like 38, 10 and 10 the rest of the season? Because the way he's been playing the last couple of weeks, it, it kind of feels that way. And removing Porzingis from the picture, healthy or not healthy, you know, there's, there's no like big two or, you know, my turn, your turn anymore. It's, I, I think they're almost going back to LeBron in Cleveland, like first tour. And I guess the, his final season in Cleveland as well, where, you know, they're in 
in order to win at the highest level, LeBron needed Kyrie or Chris Bosh or Dwayne Wade or whoever it might be, Anthony Davis. Um, but in order to win a bunch of regular season games, like you look at the teams that LeBron's best regular season teams ever were his early Cavs teams. You know, that's when they were winning 60 games with like Danielle Marshall and Mo Williams and Ilgowskis and Barajal, where, you know, you're almost better with, you know, just kind of surrounding the one guy, letting him do everything and surrounding that guy with like lesser pieces, but guys who fit perfectly. And I don't think Dallas has necessarily done that. I mean, you have some solid pieces, but you don't have like a, an ideal roster here. But I, I think we're seeing that they've, they're basically just saying, we want the ball in Lucas' hands at all times. We're going to let him dictate everything. And they were already kind of doing that, but now you're eliminating those clunky possessions where you have to incorporate Porzingis or you feel like you have to give him shots. Yeah. Like the way that this roster is built now, there's no competition for Luca, and and at times I think that could be that could be a good thing. Now, is this team going to go beat Golden State or beat Phoenix in the playoffs? No, I don't think they have that kind of talent upside. But you know, I, I think maybe this is the recipe we're seeing right now. That's the best way for them to at least win regular season games. Yeah, I mean, because Luca is the exact kind of guy you you could build an offensive scheme around, and he can almost just run it automatically. And then occasionally he can deviate from the scheme and just do what he does. Um, the Luca magic aspect of it. And you mentioned his stats recently. This month, he's averaging 36 points on 26 shots, 11 rebounds, 9 assists, 4.3 turnovers. Um, which having a better than 2-to-1 assist to turnover ratio when you're also launching 26 shots, I'm going to call that a win. Um, and, I, yeah, man, he's he's crazy, right? And the Part of it, too, is... You know, early in the season, kind of the storyline, as always, or, you know, it's only been a few years, but Doncic comes in out of shape and he's not shooting very well. And so the early part of the year was like, oh, his free throws are really bad. Like he shot 64% from the free throw line during November. And then he shot like he was shooting under 30% in December and January from three. Now things are normalizing a little bit. Um, He's been way better from three lately. His free throws still aren't amazing, but he's over 70%. And you combine that with moving Porzingis and just committing to this scheme where, again, like you mentioned, you don't have to just feed this guy who wants his, you know, uh, 15 to 20 shots a game kind of outside of the outside of the offense. And um, I, it's it's working. Everyone's playing the role. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is everyone knows their place. You know, you're not you're not putting anyone on this roster who thinks that they're on the same level as Luca or is going to go rogue and, and just kind of steal away possessions one-on-one. And I, I think that's what made the, those late 2000s Cavs teams so good is everybody knew like it's in our best interest for LeBron James to either drive and score, drive and kick, be the hub of the offense whenever he's on the court. And and again, I, I think when Luca's off the court, Dallas is going to struggle. Um, I, I've kind of been on the record about how I feel about Jalen Brunson. I Long-term, I'm not sure about the Spencer Dinwiddie fit either I mean a guy who really can't shoot you need to surround Luca I think with as many spot up guys as possible but I mean the resurgence of, of Reggie Bullock who's played extremely well since Tim Hardaway went down that's been big um, I mean if Jalen Brunson's just going to be this kind of secondary creator that's totally fine maybe he's the Mo Williams in this analogy mm-hmm. that's great I mean they like Dorian Finney-Smith so they've kind of put together almost unintentionally a roster I think that that maximizes what Doncic does but again I, I think long term you need to add some more high-end talent and maybe you need to think more carefully about how that talent fits around Luca instead of trying to give him a, you know, a, a guy who's on his same level. Maybe you, you, you just try to kind of beef up, get better ver- versions of, of all the guys that you have right now, more reliable versions, but either way, it's, it's going to be fun because if they continue playing well, I mean, what's, what's the ceiling for Dallas? Because the way that the math works out, they're really not going to fall further, like falling, even falling to seventh. They're four games up on Minnesota right now. That that seems unlikely. They're only a game and a half behind Utah. I mean, this is a, a team that could very, very well be in position to end up hosting a first round playoff series. And as we've seen in the last couple of years, even though they haven't won either of the last two series, they're like the way that Luke has been playing come playoff time. Like nobody wants to face that team. No, they're kind of in that, that mix you know, with like, like you mentioned, Utah, Denver and Minnesota and the Clippers, um, I guess the Lakers, but um, yeah, I, again, yeah, you wouldn't want to face them. You know, Dallas versus Denver would be crazy. Just two teams that the guy, the guys are just so heliocentric playing MVP levels, triple doubles every night. 
Uh, everyone else is kind of a role player. Uh, although Denver, De- Denver gained Jamal Murray back would be interesting in that equation. But I do think you're right about, you know, kind of like how I, I wouldn't be surprised if Dallas tried to build like a more balanced team around Doncic to some extent, like the Bucks have done with Giannis where it's like, they didn't really go out and get a second superstar. It's like, well, Middleton works perfectly for us. We'll extend him or we'll go out and get someone exactly. like Drew Holiday and Lopez is a solid center who fits our scheme. That sort of a thing. Right. And I hate to keep go back to the LeBron analogy, but I think that's the closest comparison to Luca in terms of the way he plays, the way he sees the game, the ball dominance. Like, it's it's impossible. I, I think it's truly impossible to have a co-star who's on your level. You know, I, I think that was the goal. It's like, oh, I'm going to Miami. Dwayne Wade and I, it's going to be 50-50. We're going to split everything. And like three weeks in, it was clear that like, all right, it has to be LeBron's team. You know, it's, yeah. it's always going to have to be Doncic's team. So I think that's a great comparison to the Bucks, where it's like, I, I almost think you're better off. You know, you're better off having Giannis paired with Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday as opposed to pairing Giannis with like Jokic you know it's like there's too much overlap there I think you end up like both guys end up playing worse playing together if that makes sense so I I think that is the the map that if you're Dallas you want to build a team like Milwaukee you want two like you'd rather have two really good borderline all-stars than one other top 10 player to pair with Doncic would you agree with that I think so yeah the first thing that come to mind I feel like it'd be weird to pair like Giannis and Paul George like to me my brain just like does not like that um that's almost almost how i feel about Doncic. um yeah i I mean paul george to me is is a little i think he's easier to fit because one he's not quite on that level like he's really there's really only one year where he was in the like oh is he is he a top five guy uh conversation you know and that was that year in okc um and he can also he can defend and he can spot up shoot that's the biggest thing right where it's like especially with a guy like Giannis, who's not you know he's willing to take threes but he's not a great shooter that other guy needs to be able to shoot. And that's why Chris Middleton and to a lesser degree, Drew Holiday work so well around him. Like you, you need to have somebody that regardless of talent level, when you're driving and kicking to the corner, that guy has to be a threat to shoot it. And, and right now, I, I mean, I guess that's kind of what Dallas has built, uh, whether they intended to or not. Uh, give me your second one right away. And I'll, I'll give you my two uh, after we, we analyze your second year. Yeah. I mean, I, I, for me, it was kind of hard to come up with something that, you know, wasn't, um, you know, hadn't already been talked about. Like, I didn't necessarily want to do like, oh, is the Harden, you know, the Harden uh, Embiid fit going to be like perfect? But one thing I am kind of interested in just in general is it seems like we're going to get a nice crop of like first time playoff players who are pretty young. Like, I'm, I'm really just curious about like, how are Evan Mobley and Darius Garland going to do in the playoffs? And uh, LaMelo Ball might end up, you know, uh, in the playoffs. And how are teams going to scheme for these guys who like, yeah, we've seen them tear up regular season defenses. Um, but like how when a team is pretty dedicated to like shugging these guys down, how will they react? Um, there's not as much of that in the West, for example, but um I think Minnesota in the West kind of fits that that mold as well, where it's how will you know Anthony Edwards in the playoffs, and we you know we'll get Cat in the playoffs and stuff like that. Yeah, Minnesota's in a really interesting spot because they have a two game lead on the Clippers, they have a three and a half game lead on the Lakers, um, and, and they're only behind Denver by two and a half. So chances are they'll end up in the play in, but you know not out of the question that they could climb to fifth or sixth in the Western conference, but I mean, Minnesota in in the way, if the current standings held, they would play Portland in the first play in game. We'd have the two LA teams playing each other. I I think I would take Minnesota certainly over Portland. I I think I would be tempted to take Minnesota even over the Lakers in a one game playoff. And I know that that kind of goes contrary to LeBron's entire career, but I I feel like when you stack these, these rosters up top to bottom, I I guess if, if LeBron and Davis are fully, fully healthy, then maybe I would back off of this a little bit. But one of the underrated things about the Lakers this season is, yeah, you know, Davis has been hurt and he, you know, his shooting is completely gone. Westbrook's been a disaster, but I don't think any of their role players have played even an average season. You know, Carmelo Anthony bailed them out of a couple games early on. He's since, you know, come back down to earth. Um, Taylor Horton Tucker, disastrous. Um, you know, Malik Monk has had his moments, but like they, 
Minnesota is just so much deeper and Minnesota is not even a great team. Like it, it, it more so speaks to the lack of depth for the Lakers. And I, I don't think Minnesota would go into a matchup against the Lakers or even the Clippers, if that's what it comes down to. I don't think they would necessarily fear either of those opponents. No, I mean, I, I think I would still pick the Lakers, but um, you know, I think uh, it would at least be interesting. You know, you get the Beverly Westbrook dynamic Um and obviously, like the the Wolves couldn't match up anyone against LeBron, but Cat's uh, probably closer to Anthony Davis than a lot of people think, um, at least on offense. And you know, again, you could say like maybe Anthony Edwards or D'Angelo Russell, and they probably are better players than Russell Westbrook at this point. Um, so that like, you kind of win that portion of the matchup, and you're almost neutral on the Anthony Davis part. And then it's just a matter of can we shut down LeBron for one game. Uh, or will LeBron be just disengaged because he just doesn't believe in this team? Again, I'd still pick the Lakers, but it is it would it would not be like some pushover game. It would not be like a fake, uh, you know, <laughs> like if the Lakers played Portland, you know, that would kind of feel fake and like a joke to some extent. Yeah, I think that's the ideal scenario for the Lakers is they end up in that matchup. And I don't know. I mean, there's I I, I know I said I officially bailed on the Lakers a week or two ago, and I still have. I will not allow myself to, you know, garner any belief in this team that that it could challenge, you know, Phoenix. If, if we get another 1-8 type of matchup between those two teams, I will not allow myself to believe that the Lakers have a chance. But I, I can't speak for everybody else. And I feel like if, if the Lakers get through the play-in, no matter who they match up with in round one, that's going to be a, a wild series, especially if LeBron and Davis are healthy. So here's the number one item that I have on my list. And it's looking at the Eastern Conference can we get another Eastern Conference team that we, by the end of the regular season, truly believe is right up there with the the big three of Philadelphia, Miami, and Brooklyn? And I think you could even throw Miami in there as the fourth team. They are number one in the East. You know, a lot of smart people you talk to, um, you know, always bring up Miami as the team that no one's talking about. So we'll throw them in there as well. So I, I guess my question is, can one of Chicago, Cleveland, or Boston. I, I don't I don't think Toronto could get there. Chicago, Cleveland, or Boston. Can one of those teams do anything over these final 25 or so games to get to the point where we say, I think that team is legitimately in that tier one of potential teams that could represent the East in the finals? Boston. Boston's been really interesting um, lately. They've tightened up the rotation. Their defense has been insane. Um you know, I still, I'm still kind of partial to Chicago because despite losing Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso for long stretches and Levine with some injury issues in and out of the lineup, they're still 38 and 21. And DeRozan's playing out of his mind. DeRozan's playing like an MVP. And if Lonzo and Caruso can get healthy, and integrate it back into the lineup. And you also get Patrick Williams for some better defense on the wing, uh, which they, I, they definitely need. I'm, I'm, I'm in on Chicago as a potential team to, to make it out of the East. Like, you know, their defense is an issue, right? They're bad there, uh, which is not a great sign. But, mm-hmm. like, their best defenders have been out. Like, their three best defenders are have not played for months. So... Once those guys come back, I do think um, I don't know. I, I it's just they may not be favored in the first round series, depending on who they play. I, I just I'm not sure, but I, I believe in them. Chicago's the team that I come back to as well. Like Boston made his move getting Derek White. I, I think that was a little underwhelming. You know, if they, if they had made a splash and somehow added like Demontis Sabonis or Tyrese Halliburton or somebody like that to this core. You know, and, and again, it'd be pretty tough to do that without giving up a key piece. Um, you know, then maybe I'd be a little more intrigued. But to me, even if they finish out uh, and play as well as they have for the last few weeks, it's tough for me to put Boston in that category. But personnel wise, I mean, the Bulls, the, when they're fully healthy, are, are really, really scary. And they're also tied for first in the in the East right now, despite those three guys that you mentioned missing a ton of time. Uh, as well as Levine missing time. Um, you know, Vucevic and DeRozan have been really healthy, and that's been a part of their success. But they have not had a perfect health record whatsoever, and they're still 17 games above 500. I guess what I keep coming back to for Chicago is 
what I just said. They're 17 games above 500. Everything's going really well. Every, like all of their players are playing well when healthy. Is there anything else they can realistically do? You know, because I, I still think a lot of people are hesitant to truly buy in on Chicago. And it's like, you know, short of them going 25 and 0 the rest of the way, like they're already playing seemingly as well as they can. I, I think they're one of those teams that a lot of people look at and say like, okay, yeah, they're really good, but what what level can they get to in the playoffs? Whereas other teams that are playing well, it feels like they maybe have another gear. And I think with Chicago, the worry is like, they're either going all out for the regular season or you know, they, they just don't have another level to go up once we get into the postseason. Yeah, I mean, maybe they don't have another level, but I don't know. I mean, they're just so – I think they're just really tough to stop offensively. Like, they got guys who can score at every level. You got a three-point shooting big who can also score on the post. DeRozan scores from anywhere. He's the perfect – not the perfect playoff scorer, but, like, he's a one-on-one guy, right? And um, Levine is an insane athlete. Like, the team just makes sense. Like, it's played well all season. And I don't – you know, I, I don't want to, like – try to dig down and try to find a team like Atlanta. Like I thought about it because I, I still do like Atlanta's team, but it's been too long at this point. Like I don't think Atlanta can dig themselves out of this hole um, and improve their defense to a no. point where they, uh, you know, make the, <laughs> like make the conference finals again. No, no, no. I mean, I, I think we got a little bit over our skis with Atlanta last year and, and look, they were, they were playing well at the right time. I think they got a really advantageous matchup in the playoffs in the first round and, and we're kind of able to ride that. And obviously they, they caught Philly at the perfect time when that entire team was imploding. Um, so maybe we didn't look at that with enough context last year, but I, I think the East, even if Atlanta gets us act together and, and makes the playoffs, I just think the East is too strong, right? I mean, last year their path was just kind of perfectly laid out for them. And no matter how you slice it, no matter which matchups you project in round one or round two, like you're not just going to kind of cruise your way, through these playoffs, like any single team that Atlanta would match up with, I would imagine they would be underdogs, right? I mean, you're, whether it's, if they're the seven or the eight, you know, you're playing Miami, Chicago, Philly, Milwaukee. Um, you know, I think like Atlanta, Cleveland is maybe one matchup because it's kind of unproven versus unproven uh, that you would maybe feel good about if you're the Hawks. But I, I just think it's too much of a gauntlet for Atlanta to get in it this year. Uh, we'll finish out with this. The, the other item that I had is kind of looking at some teams that we have not talked a lot about this year. Uh, the race to the bottom in, in both conferences is going to be interesting because once again, we don't have that many games remaining and, you know, we're seeing teams like Portland, uh, Washington seemingly go into the tank. I mean, New York, I, I the Knicks are not out of this at all. I, I think they'll make a push to try to make the playoffs. They don't really have a roster to tank right now, but um, I, I think it's interesting what Portland is doing because as of right now, they are the 10 and they're, they have a two game gap down to a team like San Antonio, New Orleans, the Pelicans do want to get in the playoffs. I kind of thought Portland would go for it because, I mean, they're, they're a full seven games behind OKC for the second worst record in the West. And they're like 10 games behind Houston for the worst record. And then you look in the East, there's two teams that are even worse than Houston in Detroit and Orlando. So like mathematically, even if Portland like loses out, you're not going to have, you're not going to go into the NBA lottery with like top three or four odds to get the number one pick. And we have seen teams jump up in the past. And maybe that's part of this thinking, but I almost feel like Portland has already won too many games to go into the tank the way that it looks like they're trying to, you know, shutting down Yusuf Durkic. Who knows if we see uh, Eric Bledsoe, who kind of seems to have a phantom injury of his own. Obviously, they traded away a bunch of pieces. Um, you know, they're 25 and 34. Like, they, they can't catch Detroit, Orlando, OKC, Houston. Chances are they finish with, like, the sixth or seventh worst record. Like, it, it, if the plan is seemingly to get a high pick to either – utilize on a young player to, to develop alongside Lillard or more likely include in a trade to try to beef up the roster around Lillard. I, like, do you like this plan? Do you, do you feel like their odds are good enough to, to get a high enough pick that you could end up dangling in a trade or is it kind of too little too late? Well, they're going the wrong direction because they've won four in a row. Um, right. I think that was the last I, straw and they, they had to come up with an injury for Nurkin. Yeah. Um, you know, with the flattened la uh, lottery odds, you don't have to be quite as bad as you as you used to be. Um, like top three, bottom three teams, I should say, have the same odds to get the number one overall pick. And even if you're number six, for example, you still have 9% to get the number one pick and 37% chance to get top four. So, you know, you don't have to be quite that bad. Regardless, 
Uh, I yes, I, I think they I think they should tank the rest of the season because, um, and this is something we talked about too, where it's like yeah, you can almost have this like two this multifaceted plan, uh, two sides of the coin where it's like okay, we have this draft pick, and then if we can't figure out something around Lillard, then we just we use it and we get this really good player, but then if we can't figure something out, then we trade it for an asset that we can pair with Lillard and maybe we can give him to stay. I think all of that makes perfect sense and I love it except for the fact that the draft is before free agency and they cannot take some swings in free agency uh and then if they land those then trade their pick to for an asset to build around those guys they got in free agency um and if they swing and miss in free agency they uh they could use the pick they can't they have to either use the pick or trade it. And then if they trade it for an asset and then uh, they miss it free agency, then you just, it's, it's way too complicated by this, like the, the way that the NBA does things. <laughs> Other than that, I think the plan makes a ton of sense, but it's, it's just weird because it's backwards and it's, it just, it, it makes their plan really inefficient and full of room for error. Right. Yeah. I, I just don't, I, I don't know that even with the flattened odds, like I, I feel like it doesn't necessarily make sense to tank this hard. Like it would it really be the worst thing if you just ended up making the play in um, because I, I they're just too far behind. You know, like you're, you're not going to feel great if you have the seventh best odds. Like how high do you have to jump for that pick to, to really matter? I, and even at that point, like what else are you attaching to, let's say, the fourth pick in the 2022 NBA draft? Like, can you attach that to Josh Hart? Like, does that land you? A, a superstar player. I, I I don't know. I mean, I do think the top of this draft is really appealing and, and that certainly helps Portland, but man, you're, you're putting a lot of eggs in that basket. Like what, what if you end up with the seventh pick, then what, you know, like at, at that point you, it's not appealing enough to trade and whatever player you're getting at seven is probably not appealing enough to entice Dame Lillard. I mean, it, not that we expect Portland to come out and say, hello, everybody, this is our plan, but it's really hard to track like what the, what the direction is here. I mean, there's, there's just so many ways that this can go. And I, I feel like there's maybe like a 20 or 30% chance that this works out in their favor, but it, the, the more we look at it and the way that this roster is constructed and, and, you know, how they conducted themselves and the players that they got back for trading Powell Covington and McCollum, it, like we said, after the deadline, like even if you were to end up with the number one pick in this draft, I, I don't feel like you're in like a, this fantastic spot to all of a sudden reload and be back to a title contender in 2022-23 like it, it feels like this is going to be a multi-year process which I you know maybe if Lillard wants to stay there long term that's kind of a luxury that you have but I, he's not going to be getting any better you know you, you kind of expect Damian Lillard at his age based on what we've seen historically to get what five to ten percent worse you know with each passing year as he gets into his mid-30s yeah and we kind of talked about a few podcasts ago like the free agency market this year isn't even great like you clear out all this cap room and your upside, probably your best case scenario would be signing DeAndre Ayton and Miles Bridges. And that's good. And I think it turned you in a very good team. But how much does it move the needle? I guess, again, maybe you, you get lucky with the draft pick, but uh, and then you can flip it. But again, you have to do that before the free agency thing. Um, I don't know. They're in a really tough spot. They're, very, they're between a rock and a hard place. Just because even the question of do we want to re-sign Damian Lillard at this number, I think is a fair question. Like I think they in theory want to do it because he matters so much to their franchise. But how many times does that sort of a contract uh with this type of player actually end up working out in a way that um <laughs> is good, I guess for lack of a, a better term. Yeah, they're they're in an unenviable spot. I, I guess the, the one thing that Portland has going for it is that Lillard seemingly is willing to work with them, you know, where one of the obvious comparisons I think is like that, that Colin Sexton pick that the Cavs held on to uh, rather than trading to improve the roster. And, and it was basically like, as soon as they did that, LeBron was gone. Like Lillard at least seems to be kind of operating as like a co-GM here. So they, they at least have the superstar on their side, but I, I think our stance all along has been, it's going to be very hard to put a product on the floor specifically for next season that you, that Damian Lillard is going to come into the 2022-23 season saying, this team is markedly better than the team I began last season with. Like, it, that almost seems impossible to me. It's, uh, yeah, it does not seem, does not seem that likely. All right, man. We'll wrap 
this thing up. Uh, excited to have games back tonight. Um, I, I don't know where my eyes will be. There's actually, actually a lot of appealing matchups. Um, you know, Cleveland, Detroit, probably going to be fading that one, especially with no Levert and no Garland. But I'm very interested to see what SGA looks like uh, back in a, in a Thunder uniform, finally, after missing so much time. Phoenix, of course, without Chris Paul. We got Denver at Sacramento. We got Golden State, Portland in the late window. Uh, and my condolences to you on your, your Keeper League team that Yusuf Nurkic was completely tearing up uh, over the last month. Um, you have been victimized, just as I have, in, in stake uh, by an untimely injury. Yeah, at least I'm getting SGA back. Thank you.